Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is Bill Landis at Cleveland.com. Here with Ari Wasserman. Doug Lee Maurice is on vacation. Uh, I don't think he's in Disney World this time. The guy's in Disney World like every other week. But I think he's in uh, beautiful central Pennsylvania. For a nice uh, nice family getaway for Doug. I don't know about Doug, but I'm on vacation I'm, when I'm with you guys. So I don't need vacation. Hanging out with us is enough of a vacation. I feel like I'm on vacation right now. Yeah, I don't feel that way. Sorry. That is insulting to you. <laughs> I'm lying. I love Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk always feels like a vacation. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and we got to watch another hour or so of, of Ohio State spring practice. It was spring practice number six for Ohio State, so uh, I can't do math in my head. Really, I have eight more practices, and then the spring game on April 15th. Um, some interesting stuff, I thought, that we got to see in practice on Tuesday Maybe number one among those was Paris Campbell, looking like, I don't want to say a legit wide receiver because I feel like that's mean to him, but I think people would agree oh. that throughout his career he's had There's nothing mean some about problems it. and maybe not always looked natural at receiver, and he looked pretty good at practice on Tuesday, are you? Okay, yeah, I do. Before we get into everything from practice, because this is what the podcast is going to be, and then we're going to answer some questions, I do think that we should at least... Put some things out there. I don't know what you were doing with your hand there, but it I was, confused I was me. just seeing where you were going with it. Um, I think that we should also announce that Student Appreciation Day is on April 8th at noon, and that is the day where students can go watch the practice. I think that's important to mention. Do you think students listen to Buckeye Talk? Um, I don't think students are the only ones who try to go to that practice. So um. <laughs> That's true. You hear that 45-year-old guy from Chillicothe who brings footballs to sign? <laughs> um, April 8th at noon. But I just think it was worth mentioning, and a few things that happened throughout the day before we get into practice – Jackson Carmen, Ohio State's five-star offensive tackle um, prospect target from Fairfield, Ohio, which is in the Cincinnati area, uh, just concluded a visit to Clemson, and he named Clemson his leader. So that's just something to watch out for. We'll probably get into a little bit more uh, when we get to the, some of the questions into recruiting. Um, and then so, yeah. Urban Meyer had um, four or five really interesting things he said after we watched practice. So back to back to Campbell. Did I wrap up the flow there? No, I actually meant to talk about the stuff that Urban Meyer said, and I forgot, so I'm glad you did that. Okay, so Paris Campbell looked great. I think we we um, both agreed on that. We'll explain why, but do you want to go down the list of some of the most important things that Urban said uh, after the practice was over? Because there's a lot of stuff there. I will. Tell me if I forget anything. Okay. So, um, Baron Browning, freshman linebacker, five-star prospect, is out for spring with a shoulder injury. He had surgery on Tuesday. It a, it's a torn labrum. Um, that was reported by Jeremy Birmingham at Land of Ten, but the torn labrum part. But Meyer announced that it was a shoulder injury and surgery 
to repair that injury on Tuesday. He's out until June. She'll be back for fall camp, well in time for fall camp in August. Um, Davon Hamilton, a defensive tackle, broke his foot in spring practice. He also had surgery. He's also out for spring. Urban Meyer said he expects him back uh, for fall camp as well. And then there was a couple other injury things before we get to some of the interesting positional things. Uh, Jonathan Cooper, defensive end, is dealing with a hamstring injury. Antonio Williams, running back, is dealing with a hamstring injury. Um, Kier Hawkins, tight end, was not at practice on Tuesday. Urban Meyer said he's dealing with some academic stuff, getting some things in order. Marcus Ball has a minor injury. Marcus Ball is recovering from surgery. Uh, Tracy Sprinkle is recovering from surgery. Both those guys, I think, are out completely for spring. Um, Cooper, it sounded like he should be back practicing. I think he was just like a precautionary thing and didn't practice on Tuesday. Um, is there anything else on the injury front that I'm uh, You're not forgetting anything on the injury front, but okay, now news. we can get to the interesting front. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins? Is that the most interesting thing? I thought he looked great. That was one of the observations that even before he came, Urban Meyer came in and said that J.K. Dobbins, and I don't know, he said he moved ahead of Antonio Williams on the depth chart, or did he, did he just do that because Williams is injured? What was no, your I, I, of it? I, I took that as... He moved ahead of him on the depth chart. It's not just because Williams is, is dealing with the hamstring issue. However, I, we don't know how severe that is, but no, I took that as even if Williams was healthy, Dobbins has surpassed him. Dobbins, and, in my opinion, it's kind of hard because all we get to see is an adult swinging like a foam bat, softball bat yeah. at these guys that are running through drills. But I thought that just on my own and, and what I put in the post was just that he was running with authority. He looked very quick. Um, he seemed to you know, have some confidence out there. And it seemed like the first person I would actually compare to as an Ezekiel Elliott type player since yeah. Zeke. And I think that that's going to constantly be the sales pitch to every top running back that Ohio State tries to recruit. But he actually is that. He's an all-purpose back who, if he adds some weight and, and gets fast, could be really, really special at Ohio State. And I think that it's pretty evident early. I was pretty impressed. Because, you know, you, you watch – practice and it's just so we understand it's really hard to, at least to me bill's like a pro at it but like to like digest everything that's happening around you but there are certain people who just jump out at you and you keep hearing their names and seeing them do stuff and i thought the two players who did that at practice on tuesday march 26th were paris campbell and jk dobbins what did i say 26th yeah 28th 28th we'll figure out our dates later tuesday uh, tuesday no i agree with you and i, I thought dobbins has been that guy We've now we've watched three three practices now, um, out of the six, which is I think a, a pretty good ratio for us. We typically don't get to watch that much practice. We've got to watch an hour of three practices, um, and I thought Dobbins and all three did stand out with the way you're saying he looked explosive. I think some people wondered if he would be an H back potentially. He looks like all running back to me. He looks very fast, I think, which and. It's not to knock Mike Weber, because I think Mike Weber's very good. He was a Big Ten freshman of the year, and he ran for 1,000 yards last year. But Dobbins looks maybe a little more kind of like a breakaway running back. I think back I overused the word dynamic. I don't know if Mike Weber's dynamic. I think, and I don't know. No, it's I think hard, I agree It's with hard you. to tell, because we got done watching the running back that now is the best running back in the NFL for the past two years. So I don't know if it's just my mind hasn't caught up yet to what regular looks like. But I think that Mike Weber is regular. I don't know, and I'm not trying to insult him. I think, I think him. he's not—he's not Elliot. He's, I don't think it's—it's it's not an insult. I'm like not you're, not, right. you're not the guy who led the NFL in rushing last year. Sorry, but I do think that if there is anybody who has star power or star quality to him, 
that Ezekiel Elliott had to some degree that there is a chance that the running back situation could change. And like Urban Meyer alluded to it in the press conference about how there was no competition last year at that position, really. Mm-hmm. Because Antonio Williams was a true freshman, and it was Mike Weber, and then who else was there? Well, Demario McCall, too. And but now Samuel. But if you have if you have McCall, who is – we've seen a lot of, of running back work with him and not very much what you would consider H-back because, work. And I, and I think that because I think it's possible that Paris Campbell is this team's age. Right. And we'll talk about him in a, I was just going to say – if if you think Mike Weber is not an explosive player, which I probably would agree with, and I think a lot of people listening would agree with too, I think he's a very solid player and was good for Ohio State last year, especially um, maybe through the first eight or nine weeks of the season. But if he's not that game-breaker type of guy and you have guys like McCall and J.K. Dobbins behind him who appear to be and that. And we don't know yet if they can. No. You but, know, I mean, but, we, but, it, but I do agree with the idea that if they do or have that potential that you – I think that it's possible for somebody to get jumped over. If not jumped over, at least the the load be shared a little more than it was. I still think there will always be a role for Weber on the team. I'm not saying that he's going to get benched, but I think that part of what was wrong with Ohio State's offense last year was that they couldn't lean on their running back when things weren't going well. They couldn't really lean on anybody, but yeah, I think. And a part of that isn't his fault because they didn't they could sell out because they weren't afraid of the deep ball. And you know, you know how football is; everything is interconnected somehow. Yeah. But okay. when Ohio State was struggling to pass the ball at times when Ezekiel Elliott was on the team, that didn't really matter. Right, because you could just hand it to him and he'd run for 200 yards. Yeah. Um, okay, let's but talk about Paris Campbell. Campbell. Yeah, let's talk about Paris Campbell, who Urban Meyer called, and this is like the label he put on Curtis Samuel last year, number one playmaker. And I don't know if anyone would have thought that about Paris Campbell coming into the season. He's been a – he was a running back in high school, converted to receiver – in my opinion, did not always look comfortable as a pass catcher. He's always been a good blocker, and Ever Myers always liked him because of that. And I think he, he called Paris Campbell one of the most important players on the team last year during the he season. He did. He loves Paris Campbell. And like it's it's easy to see why, because Campbell does basically whatever's asked of him, and he's he does the number one thing. It's so weird. It's like Ever Meyer doesn't care if a quarterback can throw, he doesn't care if a receiver can catch. If a receiver can block. You, were, you carry a lot of favor with Urban Meyer. It should be like the Evan Spencer Memorial Trophy. Right, and that's what Campbell was basically for two years because he wasn't a good pass catcher. But, and it was one practice, but he seems to have caught the eye of Urban Meyer, and on Tuesday he looked like a legit outside pass catcher, and we found out that he's doing a lot of H-back work when it comes to running the ball and stuff like that. And I don't know if he should be an outside catcher. Let the longer bodies, the bigger bodies be the outside catcher. Let the fast, very good blocker be the H. And I think there's something there. He looked thicker to me today. Did he look bigger to you? Yeah. I thought yeah. he looked a lot bigger. And if you go back and you even look at some of the old pictures, because I was looking through pictures before I put a story up, then he looked like a, a man, or, a bigger man out there than he was last year. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they divvy up the H-back role. And I don't know if they figured it out yet, but I, I just so. assumed that McCall was going to be their H. And Campbell was just going to kind of fade away. Um, into the wide receiver rotation or just get, you know, the same type of reps that he got this past year. But I think now it's possible. I think, like, today might be the day where we first saw Paris Campbell at his best. I, I think agree. I, I don't want to overblow it. I don't know. Tell me if I am. But I think this could be the birth of what is their best player next year. Well, it's interesting to me. And I, I think I'm going to write some more about this H-back spot and, like, who all is involved. Because if you would have asked, I think, either of us before the season, we probably would have said McCall. And then knowing that he was making a position switch, Eric Lover Williams maybe is the guys who would be in the in the H back role. And the two names that Urban Meyer said on Tuesday were Paris Campbell and KJ Hill, which isn't surprising because especially with Campbell, because he does have that skill set and he's a former running back, like I said. But 
that for those two guys to, I guess, be emerging in what Urban Meyer deems the most dynamic position on his offense, maybe outside of quarterback. Do you think that Paris Campbell, Paris Campbell's career trajectory, if he turns out to be their best H and their best playmaker, is similar to Curtis Samuel? It's, it's identical. I was just thinking that. Because someone asked, we'll answer some more questions, but this, just, this pertains to what we're talking about. Gene Nilly, who always asks us good questions, Nathan on Twitter, said, why is Urban Meyer obsessed with Paris Campbell? Wasn't he part of the lack of a playmaker problem last year? And I think that's valid. I think that's really valid. I think it's a good question, but I also, like, would you say this, and, and they didn't have the same problem in 2015 because they had Zeke Elliott, and he, like, hid and made up for a lot of things. But, like, Curtis Samuel was not a very dynamic player in the first two years of his career. He was a tailback who backed up Elliott, and then he was a receiver who didn't always look comfortable as a receiver in 2015. And like that to me is a very, very similar to what Campbell is now. He was an outside receiver for two years, probably a spot that he shouldn't have been in, but he had to go there because there was nowhere else for him to go. And now that some guys have come through the program and gone out to the NFL, there's an opening for him to be that H-back guy who's less of an outside receiver, more of a slot guy, more of a ball carrier. And if he, I'm not going to say he's going to replicate what Curtis Samuel did last year, but if he, for the first time in his Ohio State career, really flashes as a playmaker, I'm not going to be surprised by that because we've seen it happen before with a guy like Samuel. I think it's very similar. I do. The one thing I will say is that seeing Samuel as a freshman, that was the year before you were on the beat. Mm-hmm. No, I was on the beat that year. That was, you, our, that was our first year. I get confused, man. I'm sorry. It's hard. It's it's been so been many, so many long, wonderful years. You don't want to remember, seasons, yeah. remember the time before we were together, you yeah. know? I felt like he flashed as a freshman. like As a tailback. I think yeah. that it was just like, this guy has something special. And I don't know if Campbell has done anything yet to make me feel that way. And I feel like you can totally tell with some of these best players early in their careers if they're going to be something. Well, I agree with that. But and I like I th- would say that maybe even De- Demario McCall felt that way a little bit, more so than Campbell ever has. But would you agree that, that Campbell was never in a position to do that? Yeah. I think yeah. If, if, Campbell, Plus, if Campbell was a backup tailback instead of a receiver, I think you'd be saying the same thing. Maybe so. Yeah, no. Because I, I, I think if he has showed any of that, it was like he was, I thought, pretty dynamic as a kick returner last year. He never broke one all the right, way. Right, But he had some really nice kick returns. Well, here's the, the thing I will season. say. Campbell, I picked Campbell to be their leading receiver last year. So, like, I've kind of been on the Campbell train for a while, and I was about to break it. And I was just going to say he's just going to get lost in the shuffle with a guy like – because I think that the wide receiver position is going to define itself. And I think that you're going to see new names and new faces pop up. I mm-hmm. don't know if Terry McLaurin – and I would have said before today, Paris or before Tuesday, that Paris Campbell might have. They still would have gotten reps, but him and KJ Hill, and we're going to kind of slide back a little bit, and you're going to see an increase of reps to guys like Victor and Austin Mack. Mm-hmm. But after watching what I watched today, and I can be specific about what I thought I saw in him today, but I that changed my mind again, and I'm back on Paris Campbell is going to be a major part of this offense from a stats standpoint. Yeah, and I thought that he was bigger. He caught every single pass that was thrown to him. And what I thought was lacking last year was the ability for a receiver to maybe stop or fight through the defense, jump up and get a ball. And I thought he did that pretty well today on Tuesday too. So He looked very physical. He like did. Way, and, and it's hard to tell when you're up in the press box and there's 22 guys running around on the field. You can't really zero in on one guy all that much. But we're on the sideline and we happen to be on the side of the field where Paris Campbell was, was lining up going one-on-one against Ohio State's defensive backs, who I think we both think have looked pretty good this year. And Campbell going up against Damon Arnett and I think up against Denzel Ward, too. Yeah, he looked he looked legit. He, lo- he looked like what you would want your outside receiver to look like. Um, 
I don't know where he's going to eventually settle, but he seems like, seems to maybe be clicking. I have this vision bit. in my head, and I don't know if it's just me, but my vision is dynamic, speedy, smaller body H, Victor, Mac, and one other guy, maybe KJ Hill, and those are the four you run with. And <clears throat> I don't know what what it's going to look like or how Ohio State's going to. Uh, go about their receiver rotation. I'm sure there will be a rotation. There's always a rotation, but those are the four guys I would probably run with. Campbell, and Victor, even, Mack, and Hill. And I might have even and I might have even said Trayvon Grimes over Hill if Grimes didn't get injured. I think I think KJ Hill gets. We don't have to beat around the bush. There's a group of receivers at Ohio State who haven't done enough, and Campbell I think before this spring would be lumped into that. Right. Terry McLaurin will be lumped into that. James Clark, who was graduating and transferring, was in that. Johnny Dixon, who's never been healthy, is part of that. I don't know if I would include K.J. Hill in that. But you do. You think he was in a position to possibly get passed over? I do. I bet, like, again, we're not talent evaluators, so I don't I don't know what he's doing in practice every day. Right. What I do know is, is that he was a fringe member of the, row, the receiver rotation last year and didn't do anything. So when you see a full season, and who knows what the actual re- – I mean, what's the actual reason Ohio State couldn't throw the ball? There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons, yeah. so – I'm not going to say K.J. Hill is the reason they couldn't throw the ball, but like, I always feel like at a place like Ohio State with the way that they're recruiting, that if you ever have an entire full year where you're part of the plan and don't do anything, then you're done. Because I think that that's a long time and a lot of opportunity to make a play or make a difference, and if you don't do it, I think that's telling. I think... But I don't know, how much was K.J. Hill involved in the game plan from your perspective, and do you think he got a fair chance to break through? I don't. I, and I, I think there was a lot there, there was a lot left on the table in terms of explosive passing plays last year, but the few times they did happen, I thought K.J. Hill was on the other end. Um, and maybe it was like two or three. I mean, he, had, he caught the first touchdown pass of the year on that pass out of the slot. It was a 60-something yards, yeah. I think, from J.T. Barrett. That was um, one of ten touchdowns that was scored in that game, right? Yeah. Which is like take Bowling Green out of the equation because that wasn't the real picture of Ohio State's offense. But he had some other. Like he had big catch against Michigan in the I think it was in the fourth quarter of that game. There wasn't any one receiver who stood out to me last year, but if there was a guy who like flashed a little bit of something that I thought, well, maybe he could be better. But I didn't know he was, an too, age. he was a he was a freshman last year too. Was he a redshirt freshman? He was a redshirt freshman yeah. last year, right? He didn't play as a true freshman. I think he did play as a true freshman. Whatever. He was a sophomore last year. It was his second yeah. year. Um. I don't lump him in with that group. I th- I think that he is part of a plan this year. And Meyer said it. He listed the receivers. He said Campbell one, McLaurin and Hill like two slash three. And if you want to tell me that McLaurin at the end of the day isn't going to have the same, uh, I just don't know how much stock I put into the verbally delivered depth chart on no practice. Six. That's I think that's well said. I, I, I agree with you, but I also think that they. I think they view KJ Hill as a potential kind of game breaker kind of dude. I don't. I don't think you know. That and I think they. I think what they sale. what they should do too is envision all of them like that, and whoever does it is the one who gets the job. So, but I think that like Ben Victor did enough at the end of last year, and he's such a unique body type uh, that he kind of has to be in the rotation. I think. Um, I don't think if for Urban Meyer you can come out and say what he said Tuesday about Victor, which is. And this isn't verbatim, but he said basically like he one has one of the best skill sets as a, as a receiver that he's ever coached. And if you come out and say he that looks in April, like a freak. and then you don't play him in August, I think that's a bad look. So, and he, Urban Meyer talks a lot of guys up. He talked Sam Hubbard up for a year about pulling his red shirt, and they never pulled the red shirt. So, 
But I feel like for the most part, when he talks people up, they eventually pay. They eventually service. Eventually, but I don't. If they go through another season, examples of Urban Meyer saying so and so is the best this I've ever coached and then not played. No, I think I think eventually, like they they come through, but because he was talking about Ben Victor last year, and then eventually never played him, and then he caught pass in the playoff game, but he caught two, and like that's more of a, a product like. But I think that that's telling when you go all year without being a part of the plan, and then all of a sudden you're catching passes. Yeah, on the I guess field. you're right. I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I just haven't gotten a vibe. I, I felt like coming into the spring that there like shouldn't have been any question of who the number one receiver was, and it should have been Ben Victor. And I don't get that vibe now. And I don't I know if think, it's yeah. There's I think there's definitely a debate. And the other thing too is I couldn't go ten minutes last year without hearing Austin Mack's name, and I haven't heard it once this spring. I, I agree with that also. Yeah, that's all, I think that's weird. I think there's a weird thing going on with Victor and Mac, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're not. Because you'd want to see them in spring as the ones right now. Let's go. They're not. They're definitely not. Because they're, they're not. They're, yeah, yeah. They're behind McLaurin and Campbell and KJ Hill. All three of those guys are ahead so, of those two sophomores. And we kind of got into this in the last podcast year. last week, but like, does Urban Meyer prioritize upper class? Has he done a good job of putting the best players in the field at all times, or are there times where upperclassmen are on the field too much? I think there are certain examples where players. In this, on this team and in the history, have sat the bench too long. Yeah, and I wonder. And I can't think of vice. I can't think of the other side of it where they didn't, where they came in too early. I think the receiver position is weird too. With like some of the things that get incentivized, like if you're a good blocker, you're on the field, which is what happened with Campbell. Even though Campbell clearly had drop problems, and it's like if Ben Victor's not playing because he's not blocking. Up to your standards, then like change your standards because Ben Victor. Like, is Odell be Beckham Jr. like a great blocker? Right. Like right. I don't and know. At, like, cer- at a certain point, you got to put the best player. And we're not saying this is the case, but if part of the reason Ben Victor is not on the field is because you don't think he's a good enough blocker, then like rethink the way you're running your receiver room because that guy should be on the field. Like, the, I agree with that. Six, I agree he's with six that. foot four and runs like a deer. He should be on, like, uh, especially on a team that could not throw the ball more than ten yards down the field in every game it played, except for the Bowling Green game. Ben Victor needs to play, and he didn't play. He didn't play enough last year, and the vibe I'm getting from Victor about Victor this spring like makes me curious what his role will be next season. And like, if he comes out and becomes like the best receiver in the Big Ten, you ask yourself, well, where was this last year? Yeah, but and we'll do that, you know. We, yeah, we'll, we'll question that. that. Yeah, we'll get called negative when we do All it. All right, so we'll Bill's go. looking at his phone now. I think we're moving on. I'm just trying to see uh, what questions. Is there anything else from practice? We're probably nearly halfway through. Yeah, I'm trying throw. to think if there's anything else from practice on Tuesday. Uh, you watched a lot of the offense. I watched most of the defense. I'm trying to think. Uh, I thought last week we were all kind of in agreement that Damon Arnett with the corners looked good. Um, I thought he did look good again today. But Denzel Ward popped a little bit for me. It's so hard with those defensive backs, I feel like, because they all look good. They all, well, yeah, but I think like that's a that we had a question about cornerback rotation, and I forgot who asked the question. Like, how deep could the cornerback rotation go? And I think without question, Gregiano said they would do four if it worked out that way. Well, Ward and Arnett are in it. If that seems to be the vibe, so it's Ward and Arnett and Kendall Sheffield, the junior college transfer who's a sophomore who lost his black stripe on Tuesday. Who lost his black stripe on Tuesday. First guy to lose his black stripe. Um, but he's also been in college for two years. But right, he's older. He's a he is the age of a junior. He has sophomore eligibility. Played Alabama for a year. Played in JUCO for a year. He's in it at two, I think. So that's three, and then it's a matter of like, well, are Sean Wade or Jeffrey Okuda good enough? Do you have to put work them into? 
And Rajay Burns plays a lot too. I thought Rajay Burns like he had a pick six in the Bowling Green game. Let's just keep remembering all. Well, that. he had a pick six in the Bowling Green game, and I thought to myself, well, is Rajay Burns playing in the Bowling Green game a sign that they're really high on him, or a sign that let's get some some eligibility rolling on this guy because we have we know what we have coming. Yeah, in. I don't know if you know that three weeks after he enrolls, but no, well, I mean, he's been in the program. Well, I think you know when you see. He a was guy. a true freshman last year, wasn't he? He was, but there were a lot of true freshmen. No, but what you said is get the clock rolling. You might want to get the clock rolling on players you want the clock rolling on. No, that's that's what I meant. Like I don't know if if he was viewed bec- if he played because he was awesome or if he played. And I'm because just saying he that three weeks would through. be kind of a. Regardless, he has been. Here's with what the, I think happens. Second team defense, and I don't want to talk for you. So tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. We cover recruiting a lot. Mm-hmm. I think at times. Recruiting rankings seep into our judgment. And I'm not talking Cleveland.com's judgment. I think everybody's judgment. And I think that it's possible. Like, what if Rajay Burns is Bradley Roby? He's a tall, long corner, so. You sense? know what I mean? And yeah. it just, well, he was going to go to Louisville, and he's from Louisville, and he's a three-star, so there's no way he's better than Okuda. And it's like, well, maybe he is right now. I mean, Roby was committed to Vanderbilt as a receiver at one point. Now he's one of the best corners in the NFL, isn't he? Yeah. Like, I, and sometimes I feel like if he if they analyze, and I almost trust sometimes the balance between the five-star no-brainers that Ohio State brings in every year plus the ones that they spend a little extra time seemingly evaluating on tape and saying, we want this guy. Anyway, people nope. are going to get left behind in the defensive back room. I don't think that you're going to see a four- or five corners. I mean, I'm still kind of stunned that they played three corners last year. Maybe it was part of it was because of Marshawn's ha- Lattimore's hamstring, and they didn't want to overexert him. But you're talking about two players that could potentially be taken in the top 15 of the draft, and they weren't on the field every play. I don't understand it. I don't. I don't get why you wouldn't. If it wasn't for injury, like why was Denzel Ward playing one rep over either of those two guys? Because I thought he was not as good, but good enough to be on the field. And you saw it like in the Orange Bowl when Mike Williams burned Denzel Ward twice, like they stopped putting Denzel Ward on Mike Williams. Yeah, and then conversely, when Marshawn Lattimore didn't somebody get injured in the what game was it? It was on the road. Wisconsin. I think it was the Wisconsin game. I mean, I wrote a story about it, and Denzel Ward came in and like Conley might have gotten his wind knocked out of him or something. I can't remember mm-hmm. what happened, but he came in and played very well. So I'm not saying Denzel Ward's not good. All I know is that Sean Wade and Okuda are have arms that could shut a light a light off from across the room. You know, like I don't know. I just I think they they rotate the guys. I don't think it had anything to do with Marshawn Lattimore's hamstring. I think they rotated them, and it's something Evermeyer said before. The way they play cornerback, and he called it the track meet. He said it's track meet for sixty minutes because they play man coverage, press coverage. You're just running with the receiver on every snap, and to ask two guys to do that for sixty minutes is a big ask. Even NFL teams rotate corners because NFL te- teams play that similar defense. Yeah. So you got to have more bodies. Yeah, and maybe it's NFL- just not physically po- – I mean, we've gone over this a million times, and we've challenged Kerry Combs, and we've written about it, and I buy that. I do. But I, – I just – it's hard for me to wrap my mind around an undersized corner like Denzel Ward playing in front of a top-five draft pick ever. I thought – look, there was never – other than the Orange Bowl, there was never a time last year where I thought Denzel Ward was in over his head and shouldn't have been playing. Right. No, I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's what it sounds like I'm saying, and it's not. I think that there are times where he could be based on his size, and when you're going up against Mike Williams, I thought that that was pretty clear that he is having a hard time there. Yeah. 
But um, but I guess it's good. Like if you have. So who are your four though? So it's Ward and Arnett, and it's Kendall Sheffield. And then there's an open competition from the young guys and Rajay. And then Burns it's Rajay Burns, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade. Um, probably not Marcus Williamson. He's a freshman who's early enrolled too, but I can't see him cracking that kind of rotation. And Isaiah Pryor's a safety. Isaiah Pryor's a safety. Um, Wayne Davis, who was a corner, has moved to safety. Because I was going to say, I think it's possible that one of those guys ends up at safety. Possibly. Because like, I thought Okuda was there. a lot like... Um, I saw I read people comparing his game to Sean Taylor. Okuda to Sean Taylor? Yeah. And that was like earlier in his recruitment. I don't know how... If they're just corners. These guys are corners. But like crazy, athletic, long... Dynamic playmakers seem to work at safety for Ohio State, and I don't want to compare them to Malik Hooker, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of like Wade and somebody who can stand up behind your defense, be the last line of defense, and just fly around the field. Like and I don't Malik know. Hooker. I just don't know if uh, the rotation is going to work when you have as much challenge as you do, and I think that a position switch might be a way of getting all of them on the field. Yeah, I like. I wonder what Urban Meyer would say if somebody said, "Is there ever, ever any thought of moving Wade or?" Okuda to safety, or if that would just sound stupid to him. I would say Wade maybe, but not Okuda. I think Okuda is a really special athlete, and I think Wade's going to be really good too. I think he's got a little bit of meat to put on his bones to be the physical kind of corner. That dude's so skinny, and he looks good. I think when he's out there, but I, I don't. If, if he's not he's in rotation, number twenty four, I, I wouldn't too. be surprised. Yeah, he's wearing number twenty four. Mm-hmm. Number science says that if your number is that high, you're not going to play. Corner. That's corner. Uh, Okuda's number one, by the way. You can't get any lower than that. <laughs> Unless you're D'Angelo Russell. Uh, okay. Because nobody can guard him. Nobody can guard him, yeah, except for TJ McConnell in the NCAA tournament. Um, okay, other questions. <laughs> Does that mean? <laughs> uh, there was a really funny question. Where the heck did it go? Let's do the. Let's do this one. Well, I want to do... Uh, Peter, uh, Peter Sherman on Twitter asked what happened. Why the disappearance in the fake ads? He said it was... Added a, added a dynamic element that was the it of Buckeye talk. And Peter, I agree 100%. And I feel like we've got away from them. This isn't a fake ad. This is a real ad. And I want They're Catherine, all real ads. Well, we just don't get paid for them. They're, they're, all, they're, all, they're all fake because I don't think there was ever any hope on our end that we would actually end up getting a sponsorship. But I am here to tell you that uh, I just got a new home. I got a Casper mattress delivered in a box that is two feet by five feet, I have no idea how they fit a king size mattress into it. I unrolled that thing, let it take its full shape. I've had the two two best nights of sleep I've had in the four years I've lived in Columbus have been the last two nights that I've slept on that Casper mattress. And I want Casper mattress, who is big in the podcast game. I hope they're listening to this because we want you to sponsor Buckeye Talk, and you don't even have to give me the free mattress because I already paid for it. We just want your money, your advertising money. To have Buckeye Talk brought to you by Casper Mattress. I'm giving you the free ad now. Go buy a Casper Mattress. They're super comfortable. They're affordable. It'll be the best night's sleep you ever had. I think that's actually their tag. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and Casper Mattress is like the sponsor of every best podcast. Sleep ever had. It's really good. And I don't know the technology behind it, but I'm not asking questions because it was a super comfortable mattress, and it's the best purchase I've ever made in my entire life. Uh, I'll never regret it. My fake ad is sugar-free popsicles. Yeah, there you go. What brand? Um, I'm not. Are they, are, the are they just like? Game. Are they like Walmart brand? No, no, popsicles? no. They're the popsicle. Isn't that like an actual? Huh? Yeah. Popsicle. Yeah. 
I like them. I eat 17 of them a day and pretend like there's no calories in them, but it's actually like eating two real ones. Oh, I thought there were zero calories. There's 10 calories in it. Oh, if you, you eat have, 15 of them, then... Yeah. You're in the clear. Then it's just as much sugar as a regular one. They're sugar-free. I know, but when, but it's like there's still like the fake sugars. I don't know. Fake ads, fake sugars, whatever. Fake ads, fake sugars. Okay, so, anyway, so I have eat, a celebrity... Eat popsicle on your Casper mattress. I have a celebrity question. Oh, God. His name is Rob Treya. Oh, All Day Everyday 365? At All Day Everyday 365. Vegas has to open their stadium at some point. Dream OSU matchup in that stadium would be. And I haven't really looked at the makeups of it. Well, let's say Las Vegas, if you've been uh, living under a rock, is going to be home to an NFL team. The Oakland Raiders are moving there, I believe, as soon as 2019. And they'll have a brand new state-of-the-art stadium in Las Vegas. Is the roof going to be able to open? I'm sure. Which means, like, if there's a stadium in Las Vegas, eventually there will be major college football games played there. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. A night game in the fall of Las Vegas in August. Maybe it's still summer. Open roof, Ohio State, Alabama. Dream matchup, preseason matchup. Like the, the Chick-fil-A college football kickoff game is Ohio, Ohio State, State would ever play it, Las Vegas. that would be the coolest thing ever. You'd rather have that than the Ohio State-Alabama playoff for national championship in Vegas? It's a dream matchup in there, so I guess... I mean, obviously everything's better Al- in the obviously playoff. Obviously, it's Alabama. Yeah. But, like, is it, is it Alabama? I don't know. I think Ohio State-USC would Ohio be Ohio cool. State versus USC in Las Vegas would be sweet. A Pac-12 school in their own backyard, but, like, it's not really their backyard. Yeah. Two classic college football powerhouses going at it in the desert. Penn State Miami would be a pretty solid matchup out yeah. there in the desert. I think like you could probably play like Bowling Green, like first Grambling State, and it would be fun because it's in Vegas. Um, it would be cool though to see Ohio State play in some more of those. I mean, they play a non. I'll give Ohio State credit; they take a lot of crap for their scheduling for some reason, but they've had a premier non-conference game every year for as long as I can remember. So, and they'll have one moving forward. And they, I mean, that's part of the playoff part formula of the now. now. Yeah, Ohio State figured that out more than anybody this past year. Um, it would be cool, though, to see. To see them in, like, one of those playoff atmosphere-like games to kick off the year. Yeah. Like in Vegas, they, that if, would be if, pretty cool. So they played Oklahoma, and it wasn't the opener. They played Oklahoma in Oklahoma. They host Oklahoma in Week 2 this year, like if that was a neutral site game. Neutral site game? Yeah. Only Alabama plays neutral site games. I mean, respect. Doug wrote a pretty good story about yeah. how Alabama always plays like teams that are good enough by name, but not good scheduling enough. Scheduling scheduling geniuses, Nick Saban. You should go check that out. It was pretty awesome. Play USC in Dallas in the beginning of the year. USC looks terrible, and then by the end of the year, USC's nine and three, and all of a sudden, all of a Alabama's sudden, got a quality one on his resume. Yeah, that you won like sixty three to nothing because it's like Nick Saban USC looks at the, the rosters fires, and said, to, "Who's going to lose the most? Let's schedule them for then, so they're susceptible." Yeah, but um, respect to Ohio State for playing home and homes. Yeah, that's tougher. And they're playing TCU and 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 uh, yeah, TCU coming up. They got Notre Oregon Dame. coming up. Is that might just well, make like, that up in my like head? Twenty twenty two, they play Oregon. There's one it's year on the sch- away, one year friend. on the schedule where they have Notre Dame and Texas like slated in the same year. I suspect that'll change because that's crazy. But uh, in like five or six years, they play Notre Dame and Texas in the same year for the time being. That'd be pretty cool because you could lose one. That'd be insane. You could lose one, assuming that. Probably think Texas will be good by then. Notre Dame, maybe, if they get a new coach. Um, um, I got a question that's a recruiting question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, his handle is stab you with my pike. Oh. Don't know what that means. Uh, 
But he goes, where are all the Ohio State recruits this year? And I think he means commitments. I know it's early, really early, but I see all kinds of teams getting commits from four- and five-star prospects. I mean, Ohio State has commitments from four- or five-star prospects that just don't have. four commitments, and one's a five-star quarterback. Um, And one's a five-star safety. And I think the reason why Ohio State's probably slower building the 2018 class, this will probably be, like, worth explaining. Maybe I'll ask Urban about this next week. Uh I think there's a large sect of top-rated Ohio prospects, more so than there have been in a long time. And I think that Ohio State can, and rightfully so, is waiting on some of those guys to see how they develop and stuff. I think there's going to be a pretty strong Ohio contingent in this class, and I don't think they're necessarily in a rush to fill up their class like they were in 17. So I don't know if one month after signing day in 2017 with only four commitments, one of which is a five-star quarterback, I would be worried one bit about whether this class is going to turn out. Why was it? Why at this point last year? In a five-star corner from California. At this point last year, they had like 12 guys committed, right? It was like 10, I think, or 11. And you just think that was like they had had three of them two years earlier. It was like, you know, like. National Championship Day commits, yeah. So. You think that was out of the ordinary? And a few of those commits, the people they have to remember that were no longer in the class were Danny Clark and Todd Sibley. And why? They were Ohio kids that they evaluated later and, I guess, changed their mind on. So I I don't know if they're going to make that. My point is, I think pace is kind of overrated. The pace at which you get commitments? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I think Urban Meyer does not lose sleep having only four or five commitments at this point of the year. I think he'd probably prefer it. You're open up to navigate. You can do what you got to do. You're evaluating talent. And, of course, the, the if the main crux of your class is going to be Ohio kids, then there's not much to lose sleep over. Yeah. I think it's it's probably more enjoyable when you're still piecing together a class at this time of the year than having to worry about keeping And it's like you know field. how it is. In a month, you pick up five commitments and half your class is full. So right. it's just it just – kind of the way it works, and I think you'll start seeing it pick up. They're going to have a pretty solid spring game visitors list. Um, And then, of course, all summer they'll have the camp circuit, and that's kind of how things start getting put together. And then, you know, I don't know. I felt like they were almost too tight last year. Their official visitors during the season were kind of low because they just didn't have room. Yeah. I think it stopped them from taking as many chances as they wanted to. I think they're probably in a better place now to put together a great class uh, than they were a year ago. It's just you can't tell because the numbers aren't there. Okay, uh, just go back for one second. It was Jordan Steele who asked about how deep the cornerback rotation would go. So thank you for that question, Jordan. All right, we're going to wrap up in a bit. I want to ask you two more recruiting questions because you are our recruiting guru. You are part of the guru-ness. Thank you. Tyron Vincent, five-star defensive tackle, plays at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, has publicly stated that Ohio State has been his leader for a long time. And Florida State. I, I don't know if I, – I, I think I there's think a general understanding that Ohio, that Ohio State, State is ahead of Florida State, or yeah. has been ahead of, of Florida State. Ohio State has lost Florida, defensive tackles to Florida State in the past. They have not signed a marquee defensive tackle since Nevermeyer has been here. Do you think Tyron Vincent will be part of Ohio State's 2018 recruiting class? I kind of do. What do you think? I think I've so, too. I've never talked to him on the phone personally, and I don't like predicting things. Like predicting, like... Mindset of seventeen-year-old boy you've never met or talked to. What's right. he going to do? Right. Um, but you get a general feel for things, and I think this might be the first time they actually get their guy that they want at that position. And what but he's that not mean? like Dexter Lawrence. I mean, he's the number one defensive tackle in the right, class. right. But he's not like the three hundred and twenty-pound, ten percent body fat type of player. I don't think. I think he's only two hundred and seventy-five pounds or something, isn't he? Let's see. Beauties of the internet. Taron Vincent, six foot two, two eighty-five. So, I don't know. Is that 
I mean, guys like Dexter Lawrence were like, in addition to being number one defensive tackle, were like the, one of the top three prospects in the country. And Marvin right, Wilson right. was the same thing. And Tyron Vince is number fourteen. So, like, sorry, you get number I'm fourteen. Not splitting. In the no, but I get what you're saying. It's probably Just still not. a different caliber of kid. But regardless of that, they've I'll, done very well in IMG. Right. They've gotten him up here for visits. He's coming on Saturday, isn't he? I believe he's losing um, this weekend, yeah. I feel like you really get a sense for how serious a kid can be based on the visits they take in the spring, and his father was a bird. His father's Troy Vincent, who was a Pro Bowl cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles and some other teams. And the I, birds. is now an employee of the NFL, I believe. Uh, so they have the means to take the visits and stuff, but I think it's always a good thing when you get these top-rated prospects on campus. I mean, it happens sometimes where they come in the spring and then you don't hear from them again. Cam Akers visited last year in the spring. Uh, Najee Harris did. Um, but for the most part, you really see Ohio State closing on some of these top-level prospects who visit in the spring. And Taron Vincent, he was here in the summer, too. He was there for one of the one-day camps. So he feels a little – because it, it seemed like even a struggle to get Marvin Wilson on campus, and they finally did it. But I guess it was too little too late. He went to Florida State. Uh, last year. And Dexter Lawrence officially visited, too, two years ago. I think they can get them on officials. What I'm saying is, is when they pay their own way to come right. up. Right. That's a little different. That's a little different, yep. Um, okay, and then one last recruiting question to wrap up, because you, you teased it a little bit at the beginning. Jackson Carmen, five-star offensive tackle from Ohio. Maybe, um, tell me if I'm wrong, probably the most important player Ohio State can sign in this recruiting class. They need offensive linemen? And he is a freak. And he's a freak who is in their backyard, five-star, just got back from his visit, or just visited Clemson on Monday. He's in Kentucky right now. Said on Twitter that Clemson is his leader. How worried should Ohio State be about possibly losing Jackson Carmen to Clemson? I've wrote this, I've written this a lot, and I don't even know how much I believe it. But, like, I wrote that Jackson Carmen is, like, a dreamer. He likes the arts. He's He likes cooking. Um... You know, I've talked about how diverse his, like, mind frame is from, like, a hobbies outlook. Like an off-the-field off stuff. Off-the-field stuff. But he's a singer. He sings in the choir. He's a musician. His mom's a musician. And, like, there was a, cur- a general curiosity to see the world a little bit. Every year we talk about, could this be the national prospect from Ohio who leaves Ohio State? Ohio State never loses them. And I'm tired of pretending like they are going to. So right now, if you're an Ohio State fan, I would not worry. He's a 17-year-old boy who just took a visit to a place that just won a national title. He should be excited. That has the best players lounge in the country. They have a uh, golf course and a movie theater. And they've got Dabo who dances. Dabo. Um, Dancing Dabo. I don't know how you would take an unofficial visit down there, be the star of the show for the day, and then not leave blown yeah, away. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think Carmen is different. I think he wants to see. I think he strikes me as somebody who's going to take official visits. He's kind of a uh, interesting kid in that sense, so I would not be... Like, I would have been far more stunned if Jalen Gill actually went to UCLA than Jackson Carmen because he's from the Cincinnati area. He's in that he's in Ohio, but he's in that area where Ohio State's had historical troubles recruiting. Right. Um, I think his father lived in North Carolina recently. I might have made the state up, but I know he just recently moved back to Ohio. There's a general curiosity, I think, for him to see places, and I would not be dumbfounded if he left. But to answer your question, I would not sweat what just happened on Tuesday. Okay, let me ask it a different way. Because I think, like, Jalen Gill played Ohio State fans everywhere when he... Everyone thought he was committed to UCLA for 30 seconds. But I don't know if anyone ever actually thought that Jalen Gill was going to go anywhere other than Ohio State, even though he wanted to be a quote-unquote national prospect. Is Jackson Carmen's recruitment 
going to be more difficult for Ohio State than, than maybe a lot of people anticipated it would be. Last year, Ohio State recruited a five-star prospect that was an offensive lineman from Miami's bird, which is down there somewhere, too. I've been to all these places. I just listen to the navigation. I don't really pay attention where I'm going. Unless you're going to Lip- Lipsick? Lipsick. Where the crops sound like waves up there. The corn, when you're driving, you have the windows down, and the cornfields corn sound like, like waves crashing on the beach. It's gorgeous. Read Ari's story about Gavin Cup. It's really good. Haven't been able to live it down. Um... They got him no problem, Josh Myers, last year. Five-star offensive lineman. He committed early, didn't take visits anywhere else, was the easiest recruitment ever, and I think that's kind of the way people anticipate Ohio prospects going. I think it'd take really a lot of discipline to not want to travel and see everything. If I was a five-star prospect from Ohio, even if I knew I was going to Ohio State, like even if I were Jalen Gill, I would still take all five of my official visits. Um, But I don't think this is going to be an easy recruitment. I think they're going to get him. I just don't think... I mean, they've shown him enough love. He knows where he stands. But um, to name him a, le- a leader outside of Ohio State right now means that he's listening, I think. Yeah. And he paid to go there. And what do we just say? Ohio State fans can celebrate all the time about how they can take players from their home states and take them from Texas and turn California kids into Ohio Georgia. kids. But it's going to happen eventually to you. Kids want to leave sometimes. So it'd be a big hit, though. It'd be a huge hit. I think it's... Because the dream, and I don't mean to interrupt you, Bill, no, the okay. dream is for Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Jackson Carmen to start on the same offensive line. And when you think about that, that means they're going to have another 200-yard rusher per game again maybe in the future because those guys are animals. That'd be a hell of an offensive line. Um, that, like, you know, assuming they all work out. Like, in 2018. Or 20, yeah. yeah, 2018 or 20, no, 2019 at least. I think, yeah, it's, 2019 at least. But if you want to tell me Jackson Carmen is going to start a tackle as a true freshman, I'll buy that. He looks apart, doesn't he? That's what people say. Offensive lineman, true freshman, kind of a tricky subject, but the fact that you get that in as a nucleus of your line, I think that's the entire selling point. I he's hope he's heard it. I yeah. hope his recruitment becomes interesting. I yeah, I think I thought Jalen Gills was going to be interesting. I wrote an entire series about how he wants to be a national prospect. <laughs> in the end, it they pay all this money to go to Los Angeles, and you know he uses UCLA. I mean, he paid a lot of money to go to Los Angeles to fool the world about UCLA, but. It's the stuff that makes recruiting interesting to cover, at least for us. I know Ohio State fans probably would prefer that Jackson Carmer would have just committed to Ohio State when he was in seventh grade and have it be that. But a kid that good, that close to Ohio State. Ah, people like drama, I think. I like drama. Recruiting is drama. Recruiting it's is reality drama. television. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. Um, that was Buckeye Talk without Doug Maurice. It was actually a little bit shorter because Doug didn't just ramble the entire time. The thing that Doug does do, though, is like he keeps us on track, I think, a little bit. Did we get off track, you think? No, I thought it was good. I think you and I have a tendency to talk over each other a little bit, and Doug's always... He's like the, the traffic cop. He keeps it going in the right direction. He knows when to pull you in, when to pull me I in. I think that was pretty smooth. But I thought that was good. I thought that was a good a good uh, Doug Maurice-less version of Buckeye Talk. Um... You can read our Ohio State coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, we'll have plenty of coverage there throughout the rest of spring practice, which, as I said at the top, goes through the spring game on April 15th. Um, eight practices before that, one of them the Student Appreciation Day practice on April 8th. If you're an Ohio State student listening to this, you can go to that. It's a really cool event that they do for students, and uh, according to the Lantern, uh, they're revamping it this year, I think, some more like interactive stuff for students, so... If you're a student listening and you've never done that before, I highly suggest you do it. It's a very cool event that Ohio State puts on for Ohio State students 
And every now and then a creepy old guy sneaks in there and gets autographs that he sells on eBay. Stay away from those people. They're shady. Um, I think it's overblown to pay $200 for any autograph from anybody on anything. Yeah. When people pay money for autographs, I wonder like, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but you know, it's over. So you can shut it off now if you don't want to hear no, this. But I just, well, let them know. I don't understand. I don't get it. I have a signed baseball of Hank Aaron in my apartment, and I don't know. I think it's worth like 20 bucks. What would you rather have, a signed baseball of Hank Aaron or like a picture of you and Hank Aaron hanging out one time? If people are buying the autographs as a memento for their own self-satisfaction, I would rather have a picture. Right. And you if you're doing it for financial reasons, I don't know how much Paris Campbell's autograph on a football is right now. Right. But or if why you would spend that much money. If you're a student Ezekiel going, Elliott signed everything. How much is his autograph worth? It's not worth anything. So what, so why are people spending $250 to get an autographed football? Because they're crazy. Sports fans are crazy. That's why people listen to you and I talk about No, I know, but it's just a lot of money earlier. for something that's valueless. I maybe agree. I'm wrong. Maybe I'm no, not valueless, but are people on eBay paying, oh, God, there's an Ezekiel Elliott signed football. I need to pay $400. I think the experience of meeting someone and having them sign something that belongs to you is is worthwhile. Buying an autograph when you weren't there to have the thing signed to me, I, like that's a little lost on me. I agree with that. But if you're at student appreciation, but day, I get it's a business. Sign, These people who sign. show up with 17 footballs and eight full-sized helmets are doing it for money. There will be a guy at student appreciation day with a duffel bag full of Ohio State footballs that he will walk around trying to get signed. And if you see that person, punch them. Don't punch them. I can't advocate violence on Buckeye talk. But that I person, just, so that the thing person that we're saying is we don't understand why anybody would buy that. Right. Don't buy it. Go and experience it for yourself. It's free if you're a student. It's really cool. You can try to be in a 40-yard dash contest with some players on the football team. Last year, they like they had some girl who weighed like 75 pounds line up a tailback and score a touchdown against like Nick Bosa. It was really cool. If, I, if, if you're free on April 8th and you're an Ohio State student, you should go to this thing because it is awesome. Could you imagine spending 300 bucks for a Johnny Manziel signed football? I'm still on this, but like yeah, he I got know. into this huge like no. autograph situation at the end of his college career, and it's like if he wrote on anything in my apartment, the value would go down. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, I'm going right, to cut, 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 <laughs> cut off your autograph tangent and try to wrap up again uh, this edition of Buckeye Talk. Cleveland.com OSU slash OSU is where you find all of it. You can find Buckeye Talk on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. Uh, subscribe there. Rate there. Uh, leave us comments, preferably nice ones. And we'll come back at you next week with another edition. Today, I'm wrapping what? it up now, man. Ferrari Wasserman, he was very rude as I'm trying to wrap up a podcast. I'm Bill Landis. Thank you for listening to Buckeye Talk.